What I'm hoping for is that this will be the kind of thing that we've seen in like the Great Awakenings and where there has been a reformation of society. And, Amen. And exactly a, right. you know, that's what we need. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. And today, we're excited to welcome the Reverend David Brannon to the podcast. He is a retired ACNA minister, most recently serving as rector of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Versailles, Kentucky, which is spelled like Versailles in France. Yeah. <laughs> insists from the on being... Direct from the High Court of Versailles. I love it. <laughs> David, great to have you on Stand Firm. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we wanted to talk to you about the recent revival, or for some, the so-called revival <laughs> at Asbury University. You ministered very near to that area and are very familiar with the school. And you went to Wilmore, Kentucky last week and participated for a time in the worship that was going on in the chapel there. But before we ask you all about your experience there, why don't you sort of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry in the ACNA. Okay. Well, um, I actually uh, was involved in the Episcopal Church, uh, went to Trinity Seminary, was on staff simultaneously with at a large for the Episcopal Church, a large church, and was there for 14 years, uh, including the time after I was ordained. I was on the six-year plan at Trinity. So after graduation, uh, I stayed on staff till 2004. That was when everything started getting fun in the Episcopal Church. And at that time, I was called to be the rector of an Episcopal Church in Versailles, uh, the bishop there blocked my call, uh, basically because of the gospel. And I really sensed that I was supposed to come anyway to, uh, or to go anyway to, to Versailles, which I did and, uh, gathered some folks who had wanted me to be there in the first place. And we started a, a new church under the auspices of Uganda. And, uh, so that was, uh, a great adventure. I'm very grateful for that. So I was there for 17 years until uh, 2021. I, uh, in the process, we were able to, with the help of a lot of good people in our church, plant a new church in Frankfurt, which is now serving there in the state capitol. And I think that's it. I guess uh, uh, I've been involved now a little bit over a year in the spiritual direction ministry. So I'm really semi-retired. Mm -hmm. which uh, Claire pointed out to me. Uh, that sounds a lot better because I haven't played golf once since I retired. So, anyway, so you, went through the, uh, you went through the whole ACNA formation time then? Yes, yes. And uh, we're folded in uh, in 2009 when all that happened. So Now, St. Andrews is very close to Asbury, the school. You had yeah. professors from the school on staff. Your children went to Asbury. What What were your sort of impressions of Asbury when you lived so close? Well, first of all, um, and you may not know, but these the Asbury University and Asbury Sem Seminary are two completely separate institutions, and they're often confused. And In fact, some of the news reports were interviewing professors as if they were 
you know, the, the closest to what was happening. And my daughter, a graduate of Asbury University, was very upset about that. But the university was a great experience for our kids. Uh, we had three kids uh, graduate from there from 2005, beginning in 2005 to, to 2013, they finished. And uh, I would say that they got a good education. Um, they got uh, much more important, which it, and it's kind of rare for college these days, is they graduated with their faith, not just intact, but strong. And they were mm. able to form some what I'm sure will be lifelong relationships. Uh, so it was quite a gift, quite a contrast to the, you know, public secular university experience that I had. And I'm grateful for that. Very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. The seminary, on the other hand, uh, so it's a, uh, it's a great uh, school too, big, a big seminary. And uh, there's a lot of interest in Anglicanism there. Uh, and specifically in the ACNA, and as some of the key leaders there had been watching the ACNA because they knew that their day was coming, which it is now about 20 years after us. <clears throat> that they're, they're going through something similar right now, as you probably know. Uh, I made some really good friends. I did have some part-time and volunteer staff who served with me and did a great job. Uh, initially, I had some apprehension about the theological differences because, you know, being from the Wesleyan perspective and uh, our tradition and the 39 articles clearly more reformed, uh, I didn't know how all that would play out. And it really never was an issue hmm. uh, because because what we shared was uh, common faith in Jesus, belief in Scripture, a desire to be sharing the gospel, those other things. uh never really even came up for discussion. And I think we were able to minister together very effectively. So I'm very grateful for that. So just to be clear, the revival is happening at the seminary, correct? It is. No, it's at, it's at the university. Well, there you go. I I stand among the ignorant uh, now corrected. Um, The seminary, yeah, the seminary was very supportive and wanted to help. So they actually opened so I guess technically it is happening there or was happening there. They opened their chapel for overflow. And so I there's know a university the chapel that's separate from the seminary chapel? Yes, okay. that's right. They're right across the street from each other. So Yeah, I've been to I've been to Asbury. I taught um I taught one class and they didn't ask me back. So I guess that was how successful it was, adjunct on Anglican history there, um, for uh-huh. video series. But I had met some of the the Anglican studies professors there and was encouraged by that uh, when we lived in Louisville. And so it's been, Mm -hmm. it's been interesting to watch that um, continue, but um, has the overflow has the, has the, you know, what's happening there at Asbury affected your church at all? Is it, is it, I mean, it must be a topic of a conversation amongst the community. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a nationwide, not worldwide phenomenon, at least observation right now. What's, so what's it like on the ground? Well, I've, I've, it's my former church, and I've talked to a couple of the current staff members there who are have been participating by going to the worship services and are excited about that. They also brought some students in for testimonies uh, in, in lieu of a sermon one uh, Sunday, which I thought was a great thing. But um, uh, my church now is Grace Anglican, and I'm under a great leader. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. Well, David, you told me that you and some friends had been praying for revival. Um, mm-hmm. Was this the kind of thing that you had in mind when you were saying those prayers? What What was it that you all were hoping to see when you were praying for revival at the school or in that area? Yeah, well, I would say the short answer to that is I hope so. I hope it will be what I saw. And the story actually goes back about 30 years. If I may, I'll tell you a little bit about my heart for this. Um, I actually, and I always hesitate to say this because people look at me like I'm a wacko or something, but I had a a dream and I would say that it was a unique experience because it was so vivid and highly symbolic. And it, I got up and received what I thought, this has never happened to me again. It was almost like a download of an interpretation. Mm. And in this dream, there was a great field with an enormous harvester, a combine in it. And the field was white. And so there was this harvest going on, and I, I believe that it was about a revival. And in the revival, the civil authorities who were present in this dream were powerless to stop it. They wanted to stop it, mm. but they couldn't stop it. And the combine was stirring up this, whatever it was harvesting, and some of it blew into my mouth. And the takeaway from that was I was going to get to taste it. I was in no way central to this, but I was present and uh, was able to have, you know, and at least have a small uh, experience of what was going on. And ever since then, I wanted to see that happen. And uh, when I moved to Kentucky, after a few years, we bought a a church building from some Ukrainian Pentecostals, which is a story in itself. And right across the road from the church was a field. Uh, And it looked very much like the one in my dream. And occasionally there would be a harvester over there, uh, you know, harvesting soybeans. And I was constantly reminded of this dream. And uh, at one point, I don't even remember what year was, I I thought we were, we needed to, uh, start some kind of dedicated prayer. I had actually seen a prayer, I mean, a a video, an old video by Edwin Orr on prayer and revival, the role of prayer and revival that you can still find on YouTube, and it's worth your while if you've never seen it. Um, Mm. And it it inspired me to start a group, and we prayed for several years, and we swelled to about six, (laughs) and... uh, (laughs) And uh, most of the time, it was uh, two or three of us, and one of the others was my wife. So there was not a lot of buy-in, but we were faithful for years. And frankly, I think at some point I got a little discouraged, grew weary. I don't know that the dream ever died, but I I maybe got a little tired. But, you know, I think the, the prayers certainly didn't cause this, and my prayers are a part of, uh, you know, an unnumbered intercessions that have made for this kind of thing. And um, I'm just happy to see it. And I'm encouraged that this could be the beginning of something that would help us because we really need the help. Yeah, I was encouraged. Well, that's an encouraging story also. I mean, just your faithfulness and, and in the face of discouragement is something we can all 
be encouraged by. Um, you know, it was a beautiful witness um, to hear about. Um, with respect to the to what's going on in Asbury, particularly, you know, I was heartened to hear that at least it seemed to be this movement was met with a wave of repentance. Um, you know, mm-hmm. which was which, which initially that tempered my um, suspicion or at least skepticism. Um, it didn't not entirely, but it certainly. Um, it, it helped. It helped me process it in a much more charitable way than perhaps some of the ways that I've seen, um, you know, revivalism uh, take place over my lifetime, you know, thinking like the Lakeland, Florida one or the one in um, Toronto, um, you know, some of these sort of uh, notable revivals that may have had some aspects of them that were that were not altogether nefarious or wrong, but certainly seem to also have some very questionable sort of aspects of them too, I think to say it most charitably. Um, and so, you know, I think this is what's interesting about what's going on um, at Asbury is that it does seem to be, to be people lamenting, you know, people, people um, confessing and sort of uh, weeping, um, you know, which I think is historically and biblically and all throughout, um, you know, down through the ages, we can see the mark of, of the Holy Spirit's working in people's lives is repentance, you know, um, conversion, I don't know, Matt. I mean, that that was my I listened to y'all's podcast on it the other day. I mean, I'm, I share with you, I, I, let's put it this way. I, talk, I tell my congregation every Christmas that I'm such a soft touch um, emotionally and so sort of can be uh, manipulated by my feelings so easily that I have I really should. I watch the Hallmark Christmas Channel with with great fear and trepidation because because <laughs> I, I really am opening myself up to some so some real you know it's like it's like watching um anything Nicholas Starks has ever written you know I mean it's like every time at the end of the Notebook I want to I want to kick a wall down or something because I'm I'm just beside myself because I said how could you how could you have done this to me and so I'm I am sympathetic to the concern that you know groups of people who are in who are looking for a particular outcome. Can there can be sort of a, I don't want to say mass di- psychosis, but you know as I always say when when the Beatles landed at JFK, people you know passed out and 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 burst into tears, and so you know the the existence of it isn't but on its face something that we I think have to just um, accept uh, right off the bat, but it is heartening to have people like you have people who we trust. You know I think if Denny Burke went up and visited it, you know he's been on this this podcast before people um that are appropriately discerning and um you know trying to to be as generous as possible have come back saying you know of course there's probably some people here that just are happy they're out of class um but it doesn't seem to be the um the the majority or at least not the leadership and and i think you know i've been cautiously growing in my in my excitement about about what seems to be taking place there at asbury I mean, I my remarks and on the podcast, JDA, that I did do with Anne, you know, I I'm not going to make you repeat. This they time. come from the content. <laughs> I I don't think in, in, in worship. I'm trying to think back. I became a Christian when I was like 26, and I don't think since then I've you raised cried. my hands, say, have your hands raised above your shoulders, yeah, <laughs> in worship ever, except to give the benediction. Right, so I'll do. But aside from that, just doesn't happen. Manual. Um, so, so, I'm, so I have so I have a natural suspicion of these things, and that I have to kind of get over before I can assess something objectively. So, um, so I, I will. You say just recently too- stopped giving your sermons in a monotone. I know for that very reason. <laughs> we you were so suspicious of manipulating your your poor <laughs> congregants with your oratory jujitsu. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> Can't uh, well, who who did that? Was that was that uh, Jonathan Edwards? Who Jonathan Edwards, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, okay, well, 
that having been having been said, the one the one two things I've heard that have been concerning, and one is that it began with a sermon that was all law, no gospel. Uh, I heard this from Chris Roseborough, and, and I, he played clips of it, and it was a pretty. It seemed a pretty really heavy on, you know, law. The, the I, forgot, I don't remember the guy's name, but he's preaching from Romans. I think Romans uh, thirteen, maybe Romans twelve. No, Romans twelve. Pretty hard on the law, and then it kind of ended with, uh, "Wouldn't you like to experience this kind of love?" And then that's about it. And then that that sermon sparked the revival. So that was the one concerning thing I had. Not saying that God, the uh, God needs a good sermon to. But wouldn't that how the? But wouldn't that be how? Wouldn't the law initially be that which would bring revival? I mean, Jonah goes to Nineveh and says, "If you don't repent, God's going to, you know, going to destroy your city." And then they, you know, yeah. I mean, I think, I think owls. It's like <laughs> I think that uh, in some contexts, a law law can be preached with the implication of the gospel. Like, of course, if you repent you can be forgiven is is understood in some in some things but my understanding of this sermon was that was that it was you can do these things if you and you can have these experience these experience of god's love if you pray hard enough or seek it or seek greater so it seemed like it wasn't the gospel wasn't even implicit but i i don't know because i wasn't there and i only heard clips that chris rose broke well we can trust that grace would handle that so the second thing is is um is just uh yeah uh there and I don't is here. This is a little more shaky because I, I I read that there were people who were pro LGBTQ and the, the worship leadership of this thing. Now that doesn't mean that 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 wouldn't necessarily mean that those who were there and worshiping were supporting that or that even necessarily the leaders knew about it and were supporting that. But it, it I didn't I don't know what I don't know what that means. I haven't done enough study on it. So those are the two concerns. But otherwise, you know, I have. I've, Clearly, people are confessing their sins, or were. I think it's shut down now, isn't it? Do they, they close it? it it's over yeah, as yeah. of this morning, yeah. locally. Right. Okay. So clearly, people were confessing their sins and being forgiven and and, and coming to the Lord and being and being saved. Which I mean, nobody can say that's a bad thing, even if it's even if it's not how frozen right. chosen. If even if preaching it. Christ through <laughs> vain, even if people are preaching Christ for their own selfish gain, right, right, right. and I still um, Paul says right. so. So and I and I and I'm sure I think the bat, it seems to me like the vast majority of the people who are involved are completely sincere and 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 seeking to honor Christ and to be to draw closer to Him. So that that also is a thing we wouldn't. Well, David, you did listen to the sermon and okay. you yeah. weren't there yes. for it, but you were there in the aftermath. So what was right. what was your impression of the sermon? And then what did you see when you were there? Well, um, there's that's a very subjective experience, sure. uh, you know, um, because my son. <laughs> My son didn't listen to it, and his attitude was, that was like half a sermon. So he may have been kind of coming from the perspective that, that Matt's friend was. But what I heard was the guy was stressing the impossibility of being what Paul was calling the Romans to be. And uh, then at the end, maybe he could have expounded on the grace more, but I clearly heard a message of, you can't do this unless God enables you. So mm. anyway, it's it's worth a listen and see what you think. But that was what I heard. And in fact, I think I forwarded it to Nick and said, I think you'll like this. Uh, <laughs> but but um, I mean, I think we've always got, I, I wince at the very thought of listening to some of my old sermons <laughs> and fear having been moralistic much more often than I, 
would have liked to have done. It's so easy to do. So yeah, that's helpful. I, I mean, I like I said, I only listened to clips of it from Chris Roseborough. So maybe yeah. I'll go back yeah. after this and listen yeah. to the whole thing. Well, you know, this is this is maybe taking it a little bit off topic of the actual revival, but I'm intrigued by the 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 college aspect of it because you know I have younger children, but I um, increasingly despair of of sending them to college. And it do not ever put Asbury University on a short list of colleges that I would consider would be like you described for your own children, places where they would not only remain Christian, but be supported and grow. And I'm glad to hear that that obviously happened in, in the case of your children. Although when I do hear, like Matt mentioned, um, you know, there's a couple of Twitter people out there that are that are prints and saying things. I hope that all of that, re- that there are people repenting of their transphobia and their their heteronormativity and things of that um, <laughs> revival, you know, it makes me wonder whether it's actually a college that's much different than I would otherwise imagine, just a normal sort of nominally Christian college, if that would be, you know, like, I mean, someplace like Georgetown or, well, that just comes to mind or Notre Dame or something, I mean, those happen to be Roman Catholic, but certainly like, um, uh, like Elon, you know, is a Methodist school in Atlanta, which has nothing, um, which is at any rate, you know, what is your experience with the actual with Asbury that would sort of, I don't know, maybe corroborate? I mean, I'm sure it's it's well, I mean, just that's my question. I, I have all sorts of thoughts, but you know better than I do. Yeah, well, I can just tell you what our kids have said. And from our being there, uh, I know um, when we would go to events, they were clearly overtly, boldly Christian. And our kids, uh, my daughter in particular, still to this day so like i don't know 12 years after graduation or so would talk about the impact that the basic theology you know christian theology class had on her um, and made her think about her faith in a in a helpful way and i think that we claire and i were on the parent a parents advisory board for a couple of years and it i it was thoroughly stacked with real Christians, you know, and um, even 40 years ago when I was at the University of Georgia, the secularism was already deeply embedded in in, in every way, you know, and uh, Christianity was uh, relegated to, uh, of course, it never was a Christian school, but the, the, the places where it was uh, Christianity was thriving. We're in these parachurch ministries uh, right. in in town. So I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but um, no, that's helpful. Is there a requirement for? Is there is there like a statement of faith that a student has to sign, or is it is it like that, or is it sort of more missional? I don't know if like they will accept non-professing Christians as members. I think they, uh, as students, I'm pretty sure they will. But they do have a very clear statement of faith. And in fact, I would say back to the point about the LGBTQT, whatever, leading in worship. Um, I, re- I don't really know anything about that incident, if it happened. Uh, certain, I certainly didn't see anything like that while I was there. But they have a very clear statement on human sexuality. That if you want to, I mean, look up community standards under Asbury, and you can read it, and uh, you would applaud it. Yeah. And I, I think they're serious about it. I mean, even having something like that in your public documents is something that will bring a lot of heat 
And That's right. That's so really encouraging. They're, I think they're sticking by their guns. We were delighted with it. I'll have to put that on the list of considerations some 15 years from now or whenever. <laughs> yeah, whenever. Yeah. After they, after, after Tucker does four gap year, uh, you know, apologetic <laughs> yeah, worldview training uh, years before we uh, <laughs> move yeah. out. But that is encouraging because it is, you're, that is precisely the point where, you know, these, these quote unquote Christian colleges have failed in their in loco parentis responsibilities by, not just not just obviously recognizing that there'll be some confused kids who come to the to the school and we have to be pastoral and things, but to yeah. set up um, these official recognized clubs and organizations or or ratcheting down their community centers. I'm thinking most notably of Calvin College, you know, mm-hmm. the supposedly Presbyterian school up in Michigan um, that has just recently sort of capitulated on all these issues, and it's. Uh, um, it's great to hear that the the Methodists um, there in Asbury are are standing firm in this respect. So that that gives me a lot of uh, not just a lot of hope, but it's that that helps again temper some of the um, concern about this because you know if it was if it was a a revival that was that was breaking out um, at a nominally Christian school in a heavily emotive way surrounding the the current issues of the day well you know you can just look back two years ago and see people having public you know litanies for all sorts of um you know faddish concerns um you know whether it was the black lives matter or was a you know it was the ecology or whatever the case may be and it's good to see that if you know if they're within this christian confines that we can we can begin to to trust um you know some of the fruit so i mean you saw it i mean you 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 experienced it i mean your attestation of it would be that that there's a real move of the spirit happening there i mean not that you're the yeah oh yeah i will tell you that i was at uh when i was at trinity we had a couple of things that concerned me a great deal uh one was we had some guy that was came through town preaching he'd been to the toronto whatever it was and trying to promote, you know, some of that stuff. And so I went to the chapel, you know, and I was alarmed, you know, I thought it was wacky. I thought there was a lot of copying, you know, the, the kind of experiences. And I never want to take that kind of perspective on people, you know, where I'm kind of critiquing and judging. And in fact, I think the, I had this sense while I was at Asbury that that one of the things that I really needed to do was not to turn off my discernment, but let people be different from me, you know, and people that wanted to shout uh, or whatever, uh, have an emotional outburst, you know, I just needed to, you know, okay, that's, they're, they're different from me. And because uh, I am, I, I don't know if it's a professional hazard or not, but I can be a worship critic and, the, you know, the Holy Spirit Jr. for people. And I really didn't want to. I wanted to be there because I still wanted more from God. I didn't want to go there to be snooping out whether or not I thought it was real. I need more of his presence in my life. One of the things that has made it complicated for people to determine whether or not this is quote unquote a real movement of the Holy Spirit is the question of what is a revival at all. And I wonder what you all, how you all would answer that question. I will say, uh, you mentioned, um, is it Denny Burks or Burke? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of you guys mentioned him. And so 
I had I was going to go look up uh, the Jonathan Edwards list, you know, of like what's real, what's you know suspect. And then my son sent me his uh, Denny's a blog that he wrote on it, and and I think that what Edwards wrote is what I would says what we need to look for you know it's about jesus i'll just read it it raises the esteem of jesus in their eyes it operates against satan's interests by discouraging sin it causes men to have a greater regard for the holy scriptures it is a spirit of truth which convicts them of the gospel truth and it is a spirit of love toward god and men and and I think if we see those things, and I, and I, from what I could tell, I saw you know at least the beginnings of those things. That just you know, seems to me like that's a that's a description of where we might say the Holy Spirit is working. But we see yeah. that in our churches on Sunday mornings. I think one of the complicating factors here is the, this this moniker of revival like this is a thing a specific kind of work of the holy spirit that uh, i don't know if the second great awakening was called that in the moment i kind of doubt it you know it was like a hundred years later matt i wonder what you would from from what i understand you know so i I think let's say on sunday morning we just do what we do We, we get up and we preach the gospel and we celebrate the sacraments and people come and they worship and just for some reason on that on one particular Sunday, uh, 75% of people there become maybe they maybe they've been nominal before and they suddenly become converted or whole cloth converted, right? I think it sounds like that would meet Jonathan Edwards' criteria for for revival. It, it's I don't think it it doesn't the emotion. I know I remember reading that uh several years seminary, I guess. And then he he was saying he was also along with saying what what are the marks of revival, he was also saying what are not marks of, the, of revival. And right. And uh the crazy expression, the over emotionalism, the 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 kind of things that might have been that we would associate with Toronto, like barking like dogs. And those are the kinds of things that that also uh in some of the wilder uh, regions of yeah, the, accompany of the demonic possession. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's also uh, that's also how you know you're close to hell. So maybe we could say maybe we could say that uh, a revival would be just God so working through uh, preaching and worship that He brings about the conversion of many people. Um, at the same time, you got to be careful. You know, I, I think I told the story of my, I, I keep referencing my podcast edit earlier in the week. I'm sorry, but, um, but I have a prisoner. We're the only other two listeners, Matt, so no, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, I have a prisoner who came to faith in Jesus Christ by reading the Book of Mormon, I mean, real faith. And the, and the reason that happened, he's reading the Book of Mormon, and he had grown up under um, my my predecessor, who's, he was my predecessor's son. And he was really leaning toward Mormonism at the time. And he's reading the Book of Mormon. And apparently there's a verse in the Book of Mormon that says, go back to the Good Shepherd. And and so he comes back to my church, the Good Shepherd. And he hears the gospel and believes. And somehow I think God was leading him to do that. I guess my caveat to what I was saying a minute ago is uh, we wouldn't want to say lots of conversions by itself would necessarily mean revival because that doesn't necessarily mean that the source is to be commended. However, if the source is doing the right thing, preaching the gospel, right? There's, there's uh, what, what the church is supposed to be doing. Then I think we could say, okay, revival. 
conversions plus orthodoxy, I guess, or, or, or orthopraxis would be maybe a way of talking about or defining something as revival. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I, that's my my only suspicion about it is the the localism of it, you know, because it doesn't seem. I mean, of course, I guess Nineveh kind of goes against this. The entire, um, you know, entire country re- repents. But um, you know, if there is an actual move of the spirit, it doesn't seem like it would be um, localized. I mean, Jesus seems to even even caution against thinking that way. You know, the when spirit blows where he will. You know. Um, and so, you know, my prayer is that is that if if there is a genuine revival breaking out, certainly I hope it doesn't it's not limited geographically to Wilmore, Kentucky, you know, and I hope that it will come through a deepening sense of of the awareness of sin, repentance and conviction. You know, Jesus promises in John 16 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring repentance, you know, he will bring conviction of sin, righteousness and judgment. You know, this is what he says will happen. And so um, where that takes place in the individual heart we call that conversion, you know, I mean, that's what happens. And so if there's, if there's a need for, well, there's certainly a need for people to be, have their consciences um, revived, you know, for their uh, holy shame to be felt, you know, C.S. Lewis says. And so I, I hope and pray that if that's to the extent that that's happening at Wilmore, that that would just, that wouldn't just spill out over Wilmore, but that would be the move of the Holy Spirit, you know, across the land, because we certainly need it. And, you know, I have to admit, and I was talking to Liza about this last night, we have been, I don't know if we're going to see the same sort of, um, you know, numbers, but but during this past epiphany season, we have seen a marked uptick in people who have been responding more dramatically to preaching, to at least my preaching, in a way that I'm I'm grateful for. But I don't really think I've been saying things much differently than I have before. And yet I've been heartened by the fact that, you know, I've had meetings with people and, and interactions with people who have who have been expressing something of a deepening conviction of sin, but obviously in light of the promised hope of the, well, the promise um, absolution and redemption that's, that's offered. And it's been a very freeing and healing reality for them. And I couldn't help but sort of think back over the past couple of months. And then in light of what's taking place in Wilmore to think perhaps, you know, well, I can pray for this Lord. Maybe, maybe that is something that is, is beginning to happen more frequently around the rightly and duly administering your word and sacrament, you know, the law and the gospel, as we always say. And so I think along those lines, we can be prayer, we can be intensely prayerful. I mean, because our country, um, as we talk about often, is um, far from the city on a hill that that it needs to be and has lost its saltiness in many ways, um, you know, if it ever had it. But certainly we are we are we are an altogether different sort of of um, seasoning, you know, chemical uh, GMO seasoning, as opposed to anything um, healthy and good. And, you know, that we could be brought back to a sense of, of, of right, well, well, the right sense of conviction before the Lord, um, particularly in our churches, you know, we have to begin there, you know, get our own house in order. Well, then that could be, it could be the Lord not with, withholding his, his hand of blessing from us, and if he isn't withholding it, as he has all the right to do, given some of the atrocities that we participate in, then this would be how it would start. And yeah. so um, I pray along those lines because it would be it would be a little bit like, you know, the surprise of seeing Roe versus Wade overturned. It would be like, well, we actually got to be live during the reversal of what seems to be an inexorable march towards, you know, slouching towards Gomorrah, the name of the old <laughs> book. Remember, it seems like that's where we're headed, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's 10 righteous people, Lord, you know, we spare that spare the country. And so I think I've been telling our people 
And I've been telling last, I spoke about this a little bit at the Rector's Forum on Sunday, and I said, you know, that I've, I'm entering in personally into a season of real sort of sackcloth and ashes um, in intercession for not only the church, but the country. And I don't think it's a, it's an accident that this is all taking place on the eve of Lent and a time of penitence as we prepare for Easter, that over these next 40 days, you know, we're, we're really um, entering into this penitential season in a much more intercessory uh, sort of prayerful way than I ever have before. And it's in part because of this inspiration that's coming out of, out of Asbury. Yeah, I've certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing articles about it in totally secular media and in the same way that a parishioner can come to church of the good shepherd, because he read a sentence in the book of Mormon, it seems like somebody may well, or somebody's may well walk into any of our churches just wondering what is this thing that i heard about you know in the free press or i love barry weiss but she she's you know definitely not talking about what you're talking about but our churches and churches like ours exist to disciple these new believers and raise them up into the faith that has been sparked in them david what's your hope for the next period of time after the official revival time at Asbury is over. Things are happening at other schools, apparently. Worship, obviously, in spirit and truth is ongoing all over the world okay. in faithful Christian churches. What what do you pray for and hope for that might be traced somehow to what's happening at Asbury? Well, first of all, I, I think I've heard the distinction that there's a difference between an, uh, an awakening or a move of the spirit and a revival uh and i think that's helpful you know that this this could be just localized you know at at asbury as jd was saying but what i'm hoping for is that this will be the kind of thing that we've seen in like the great awakenings and where there has been a reformation of society and Amen. and a, exactly right. you know that's what we need i mean we are this the this world, as you know, is so dark and broken. And people, one of the, the things that was so impressive to me as we we waited in line in the rain for about forty five minutes to get into the into the auditorium to the chapel there, and nobody was complaining. People were so they were joyful and they were expectant, and I think above all, they were hungry for something good. Uh, we're so we're I think people are weary after COVID and shutting down and being told what you can't do. People are hungry for light and freedom uh, and especially freedom in the Lord. Uh, and I think that there may be people that are not. I'm hoping back to your question, Nick, that my hope is that uh, the church will be renewed and uh, reformed where it needs to be but that it will make a bigger impact that the, the people, if they are reawakened and renewed in their faith can actually be bolder and more effective uh, witnesses, Amen. because otherwise we're, we're going down the tubes fast. I do think I do agree with you. I think, you know, some of the cultural revolutions, I mean, not in the, some of the, the cultural um, sort of repentance, you know, national cultural repentance that we saw as a fruit of the 
of the great awakenings, you know, whatever you want to say about the excesses and the negativities of it, but those certainly not only existed, but persisted um, Mm -hmm. and really affected our natural national cultural sort of stances on all sorts of things in a, in a, in a, in a largely positive way. And so, you know, we're due. I mean, I think you know, you look around at the headlines, it's like we seem to be due um, the Lord's intervention one way or the other. And so if he's staying the hellfire and brimstone for a little while, then that's fine because we can be, we can be prayerfully interceding. But I, I do pray, and I tell my congregation this too, that if revival or, or the work of the Spirit is going to be seen, it will take place in and through the churches first. You know, this is where it will happen, you know, and it will begin just as the church spread in the beginning, you know, because Paul went to the synagogue every single place he went and then began to build the church and expand. You know, Paul started with the conviction and the conversion of the people of God, and then they will know you're Christians by your love for each other, you know, sort of uh, promises Jesus gives. And so that's, you know, I hope if we take anything from this, it seems to me that that would be that would be an encouragement that that, you know, where the Lord moves, he brings people to their knees, um, not to leave them there, but to raise them up to the new life of faith. And so, you know, so be it. I would love to love to have a revival or a move of the spirit here on Hilton Head Island. That's what I say. We shut down the, the strip club that's half a mile from our church. That would be the first. That would be, <laughs> that would be one of the fruits of it, I think, right there. Um, but at any rate, uh, well, that's encouraging, Dave. I mean, I, I really think, um, you know, it's it's we were grateful that you were there and we're grateful for your insight and uh, your perspective on it, because it's certainly trustworthy and, and informed in ways that uh, certainly informed in ways that ours aren't. But um, it's it's gratifying to hear that. It's, it really is because uh, we can pray along with them that the Lord would continue such movements, um, not just in Asbury, but around the world. If I may, could I, I'd like to go back to something Nick said. So you said something about the ordinary work of God in the church that we have, you know, every, every week when the gospel is preached. And I don't disagree with that a bit, but I can't think of uh, who said this, but I heard recently heard someone say that a revival is like a concentrated uh, dose of what's of ordinary, the ordinary grace of God that, that people experience uh, in worship, uh, and it's just coming in a special dose or something. I can't even remember. I'm butchering the quotation, but I thought hmm, it's just a concentrated work of the Holy Spirit and a lot of people all at the same time uh, that makes it extraordinary, but it's the same grace and the same gospel. Amen. Well, amen. The same grace and the same gospel. Thanks for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you would like to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy, and a special thank you to David Brannon. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh,